Welcome to The Point. I'm Mindy Todd. Although the date tells us it's still winter, wildlife follows a different calendar. Many species are building nests, finding mates, mates and getting and ready, getting to, ready bring to bring the next generation of life into the world. Coyotes are one such species, and because they are mating and in a month or two rearing pups, their behavior can appear more aggressive to humans. Today we talk about coexisting with coyotes and other wildlife by better understanding their biology and behavior. And with us is Stephen Wright. He's a wildlife biologist at Mass Wildlife. Life. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Good to be here. And Stephanie Ellis, Executive Director at Wild Care Cape Cod. Hi, Stephanie. Good morning. So, so we were surprised uh, to learn that coyotes haven't always been in Massachusetts. So when did they start arriving in New England and what caused them to expand in our region? Yeah, so coyotes are an interesting species. Uh, in Massachusetts here. So they haven't always been here. They're a relative newcomer to the eastern United States and to Massachusetts. So uh, historically, their coyotes were found in the prairie grasslands um, in the western United States, north up into Canada and south down into Mexico. Um, after European colonization, um, that fragmented landscape that was created through farming practices, um, heading westward, and with that human expansion westward, um, also uh, along, um, along with the extirpation of wolves and mountain lions, which are direct competitors with coyotes, kind of opened up this corridor for coyotes to expand eastward. So that occurred in the early 1900s, this eastward expansion of coyotes towards Massachusetts. And um, they came across eastward um, on, the, on the northern front up through the Great Lakes region and arrived in Massachusetts by the late 1950s. So in the late 1950s, coyotes showed up in um, a few different locations in western Massachusetts. Uh, there were confirmed sightings there. And then gradually over time, that population expanded. So by 1980 or so, we had uh, pockets of coyotes that were confirmed in um, more, mostly towns in, the, in Western Mass, but also some Eastern towns, and including Cape Cod, where we had our first confirmation in the 80s in Mashpee on Cape Cod. Mm. So once they arrived here, that population just gradually expanded. By the year 2000, coyotes were, uh, they were confirmed in every town in Massachusetts other than the islands, so all the, all the mainland towns in Massachusetts. And um, at this point now, um, they're essentially saturated all of Massachusetts. Yeah. So, and the, the coyotes that we have in Massachusetts larger than the Western, Western relatives or what, what's the difference in size? So they, they are, our coyotes in Massachusetts are, are, are bigger than their Western um, relatives. And that's because when they had this eastward expansion, um, they did breed with uh, remnant populations of gray wolves up in the Great Lakes region uh, up in Canada so our coyotes have a genetic makeup of, you know, say 65 to 80 percent of their um, Western genetic background, but they do have eight to, uh, say, 20 percent 
wolf DNA in them as well as domestic dog DNA. So our coyotes will average, say, um, about 35 to 40 pounds for the females. The males are slightly bigger, 35 to 45 pounds with, you know, some animals reaching 50 pounds or greater. And that's because of that. Yeah. domestic dog and wolf DNA that they have in them. So that's why we hear some people call them koi wolves, but really it's called the eastern coyote. Yeah, so we refer refer to them as the eastern coyote. Um, you know, and, and people do refer to them as koi wolves because of that yeah. wolf DNA that they do have in them. And you mentioned the size, and I can I sort of can hear people going, wait a minute, I've seen coyotes bigger than that. But that would probably be in the winter when their fur is a little bit Yeah, fuller. so, in, um, you know, like... Like most wild animals, uh, their body structure is fairly lean. So in the wintertime, they have a full fur coat, um, which really makes them look big. Um, but w- without that fur, if you just look at the body of a coyote, it's it's much more lean than, say, like a domestic dog. So frequently when people report coyotes, they say, oh, it's the size of my German Shepherd. We, got, you know, mm-hmm. we have one that's 80, 90 pounds, and that's just simply not the case yeah. uh there are coyotes that can reach you know 50 pounds or, or even more than that uh they're relatively rare um but a lot of it does have to do with that thick winter coat that they have yeah. do we know how uh, do we have an estimate of how many coyotes there are in the state yeah we uh, we do have an estimate that there's you know approximately 10,000 coyotes in the state mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and that's based on uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about this, but that um, that's based on um, what we can do is we can come up with those figures looking at the home ranges um, of their territories right. and um, throughout the state and correlating that with the available habitat in Massachusetts. Yeah. So by the year 2000, they were in every town in Massachusetts except for like in our area, Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket. Mm-hmm. But occasionally we hear about a coyote sighting on the vineyard. What are the chances of them expanding? I mean, can they swim that far? Yeah, so they, they, are, they, they can swim very well. Uh, so we did have confirmed sightings of at least one coyote um, on Martha's Vineyard within the past five years or so. Um, and that came through uh, reports. We did get multiple reports from reputable sources and uh, some trail camera pictures. And, you know, if you look at the landscape, we do have coyotes on the Elizabeth Islands mm-hmm. and Martha's Vineyard is very close. So it's it's very likely that a coyote could easily swim over to Martha's Vineyard. We don't have any... Not so much Nantucket, though. (laughs) Nantucket is... Yeah, Nantucket's a little bit further, and I think just that extra distance kind of... A little too much. Is is a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what are some of the reasons coyotes are so adaptable? Well, they're so adaptable. um, It's mainly because of the... You know, their ability to take advantage of food sources. Um, so they're omnivorous. They can eat um, just about anything. And their their diet will vary a little bit throughout the year. But um, they can take advantage of all these food sources. And they can live in close, close proximity to people. So they can live in, you know, a multitude of different habitats and thrive in them, um, which is why they've been so mm. successful. Yeah. So do bird feeders attract coyotes? Bird feeders are certainly an attractant to coyotes. Um, it's not necessarily just the, the bird seed that's there, but um, 
it's all the other animals that bird feeders attract. So when you put out a bird feeder, you're attracting mice, um, you're rats. attracting rats, you're attracting mm -hmm. squirrels, chipmunks. These are all um, species that make up the, the main prey base of a coyote. Yeah. So by, by concentrating those in an area, um, it's just you know, a very localized food source for coyotes. So if they're successful finding food in a place like that, um, they're going to come back, come back and, yeah. and continue I know, to do I so. I know where we can eat, guys. Right? <laughs> exactly. Stephanie, do you get a lot of calls in regards to coyotes? We do get a lot of calls. Um, sometimes people just call and say, oh, there's a coyote in our backyard. And, of course, there's a lot of, a lot of fear. Um, so it's great to replace the fear with facts. They are typically shy, timid uh, animals. Um, and then we also get a lot of calls about uh, sick coyotes with mange. Mm -hmm. And um, so what we typically tell people is uh, mange is cyclical. Um, it's, a, it's a mite that gets under the skin. And in many animals, they can overcome it if they don't have other underlying issues. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we, what we tell people is to contact, let their animal control officer know of this sick animal um, and absolutely do not feed them and do not um, attempt to give them medication in the wild. Yeah. Um, and there, there, there are so many reasons for that, but it's also illegal in the state of Massachusetts. Oh, didn't know that. So um, there are also, besides the bird feeder, there's the uh, human-associated food sources, right? I mean, a garbage and, and some folks who think they're doing a nice thing feeding them, you should not feed them. Exactly, yeah. Um, th there's a lot of things. There's a lot of food opportunities for coyotes in people's backyards. So bird feeders are the number one source of a lot of wildlife problems. Um, but other things like unsecured trash, um, you know, if they can get into your trash, they're going to take advantage of that. That's an easy mm -hmm. food source, you know, little energy output from them to get food. Um, compost piles, uh, because, because they will eat so many different things that you know they find you know rotted meats especially um but even fruits and vegetables and things like that and compost piles if it's if it's easy access they're going to take advantage of it and they can jump i, I say i have i have a six foot fence mm -hmm. and i've seen traces of coyotes in my yard yeah. over time they can they can jump a fence they can yeah so our recommendation when we we get a lot of phone calls with people uh, concerned about dogs and uh, you know fencing is good if it's put up properly. So we recommend a six foot fence, but along with that six foot fence, we also recommend that you install a roll bar at the top. And what that'll do is when a coyote tries to jump that fence, he can't kind of get his belly on top of the fence and scramble over. That roll bar is going to roll down, mm -hmm. so yeah. he won't be able to get in. I, I know, love, when we're talking about food sources, I mean, do coyotes look at our pets as a food source? Absolutely. Cats and dogs? Absolutely, yeah. especially if it's unsupervised. Um, because a, an outdoor cat or an outdoor dog uh, that's not under direct supervision on a short leash is just going to be viewed by a coyote as any other natural prey item out there. So uh, small dogs in particular, uh, they'll look at, view them as a, you know, potential prey source. And then larger dogs, they could view them as competition. Mm -hmm. So they might uh, be aggressive towards them, mainly because they're uh, protecting a den site, um, or they just view them as competition on the landscape. So they're generally not taking big dogs as food sources then? I mean, no, it's more, the bigger dogs, it's more so 
competition. Competition, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or they view them as like a threat to their pops or to their den. Yeah. Oh. Um, and then this, you know, the, the we hear stories sometimes of people say, oh, my dog, I saw him playing with a coyote. That's possible, but probably not. Probably this. not. I mean, a lot of dogs get into trouble, I think, because of their natural curiosity. So, um, you know, a, a, a domestic dog is going to be curious with mm-hmm. other canine activity. So if someone lets a dog loose and there's a den, say, in the woods behind your property, he's probably going to be curious and attracted to it. And then when he's out there, then the coyotes, you know, that has the potential to get aggressive towards a dog, mm-hmm. um, you yeah. know. And- Stephanie, talk about, you, know, you You try to educate people when they call and they go, I see a coyote in my yard or, um, you know, other, well, what we're trying to do is discourage people from attracting them, right, with these food sources, but also not feeding them. Because when we feed wildlife, whatever kind of wildlife it is, we're encouraging them to get used to having human contact, right? Yes, exactly. And even, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, well, I leave the food out and they don't actually see me. But even so, you're now, you're now tra- attracting these animals unnaturally into your backyard looking for food sources. And this is when we get into situations of um, coyotes becoming more bold and having inappropriate behavior um, and it, interpreted as a, you know, a sick animal in some cases. Um, so, yes, it's definitely not a good idea to feed them. And like Steve said, um, keep your cats indoors, which is Safer for your cat and safer for the wildlife because they are a small and easy prey item. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's cars, there's lots of, there's owls. I mean, there are other bird predators that will take cats as well. So it's not just coyotes that are a danger to your cat, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, vehicle strikes are, are a big one, unfortunately, for um, cats being outdoors. And, um, but cats, they do prey on a lot of small beneficial animals. Like birds. And so it just really mm. like, like birds, exactly. And, and beneficial insects even. Not all bugs are bad. Some yeah. of them we need. <laughs> yeah. um, and so we tell people to get a catio, uh, which is an indoor-outdoor uh, patio for your cat. They feel like they're in the great outdoors, but they're actually contained. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about coexisting wildlife this morning, in particular coyotes. 866-999-4626 is our number if you have a comment or a question. 866-999-4626. Our email address is thepoint at capeandislands.org. We'll talk more after a quick break. You're listening to The Point. We're talking about coexisting with coyotes and other wildlife by better understanding their biology and behavior. With us this morning, Stephen Wright, wildlife biologist at Mass Wildlife, and Stephanie Ellis, executive director at Wild Care Cape Cod. 866-999-4626 is our number. That's 866-999-4626. Our email address is thepoint at capeandislands.org. Okay, so there have been incidents when coyotes have bitten people in Massachusetts, and I think probably that adds to the fear that people have because most of the time coyotes are trying to avoid people, right? So what's happening when they bite somebody? So we we do have about 35 confirmed incidents uh, uh, in Massachusetts of of coyotes attacking people, which is usually a a, a bite. Um, And what's happening there is most of the time those types of situations involve coyotes that have become habituated to people. And almost every instance that we have is correlated with feeding of the animals. So what happens over time is these as these com- uh, animals get comfortable around people, they get h- habituated and they 
they lose that fear of people and um, that leads to these close interactions when mm. you know a, a bite might occur. Does so, does some rabies play a part there? I mean, are any of these rabid? Coyotes? I mean, disease is always a concern. If if anyone was ever to get bitten by a coyote, you know, you would certainly want to contact your doctor, and they would mm -hmm. put you on a series of uh, rabies vaccines. So mm -hmm. you know, rabies has been um, that has been involved in some of these cases. More of the cases, uh, most of them are just that habituation yeah, yeah. from With feeding. The... Yeah. So, so Stephanie, you're nodding your head. Do you get calls from people going, "Hey, I'm not feeding coyotes, but my neighbor is. What do I do?" Um, we do get those calls, unfortunately, and we usually um, tell them to contact Mass Wildlife. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's you, Stephen. <laughs> right. So then they call you and say, "What do I do?" Yeah. So we we do. Uh, yeah, we we keep in pretty good contact with um, the rehab centers like Wild Care and uh, with local animal control officers. So it's usually a coordinated effort. Um, sometimes we'll do site visits um, or the animal control officer will. And most of the time what we're looking for is just, you know, what might be leading to some of these behaviors that, uh, where if, if we're getting reports of aggressive coyotes on the property. So a lot of times it, it can be just be sort of resolved over the phone and we recommend they talk to their neighbors, um, you know, certainly eliminate any f direct feeding of coyotes, which is probably the worst case scenario, mm -hmm. uh, but also that indirect feeding that uh, we talked about, like yeah, the backyard, yeah. trash, uh, compost piles. So we, we look for that type of stuff in the area. Um, and then on top of that, we, um, another thing, too, that we really stress is um, you need to harass the animals when they're there because it's that habituation that we talked about mm -hmm. and that comfortableness around people that you want to eliminate. So when you say harass, like, like big noises, banging? Big noises, yeah. yeah. Uh, anything that would be, you know, kind of unnatural to them and, and just make them feel on edge yeah. so um you know we advise it, it's really important to have everyone in the neighborhood on board with this um and kind of actively participating um uh, in it because you, you just it's hard to break that habit of them being yeah, comfortable around there. people yeah. Yeah. yeah um so yeah it's those loud noises you can you can bang pots and pans you can carry an air horn um mm. You want to avoid any type of like submissive behavior because you know being a canine species, it's right. that dominance. Yeah, I think they're the alpha dog. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and you really want to let them know that they're not. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. uh, Janet's calling from Martha's Vineyard. Hi, Janet. Hi. Um, recently, there was a reporting of a uh, coyote in West Tisbury, near the state forest in West Tisbury, and I happen to be a friend of the animal control person in West Tisbury. And she showed me a picture on her phone of this animal. She wasn't sure it was. It was all emaciated, hardly any flesh on it. And how would you determine genetically that it was indeed not a dog that had just gone and died in the state forest or uh, a coyote? It was um, the She didn't discover it. A person in town did and called her, and she has a picture of it on her phone, and I did see it. How would you determine it genetically if it actually was a coyote or just a, and a, another dog? Well, what we would, those types of cases, usually we, if, if there is a picture available, um, 
we ask for it to be submitted and then, you know, I can take a look at it. Um, most likely I would also, uh, pass it along to our fur bear biologist who's in charge of our, our coyotes in Massachusetts. And, um, we'd, we'd, Really just be looking at, uh, the, if it's a picture like that, we're looking at the physical features of the animal. So um, we're looking for that black tip tail. Um, coyotes can resemble um, domestic dogs quite a bit, um, especially in Massachusetts, like we talked about that um, that genetic makeup of, of eastern coyotes with that domestic dog in them and the gray wolf. So we do see a lot of variation in, in coat colors where we can have coyotes that are really reddish brown, uh, that grizzled gray, um, blonde, or even black. Um, but, yeah, we would be we would pretty much be looking at all those fit, uh, features mm-hmm. trying to make that determination. Yeah. Janet, thanks for the phone call. Uh, If you have a question or comment about coyotes or other wildlife or you have a wildlife story you want to share, uh, give us a call at 866-999-4626 or email address thepoint at capeandislands.org. So, Stephanie, goes back to, like we talk about feeding. It's not just the coyotes we don't want to feed, right? This is, we we don't want to feed wild, I mean, they're bird feeders, but it attracts more than just coyotes, right, and spreads disease, Right, exactly. Like um, often in the situations with coyotes that have mange and then people feel like they need to feed them um, and then you're attracting uh, coyotes to this location, but you're also attracting other species. And so now you have these abnormal um, aggregations of species and um, that leads to the spread of disease. And so feeding of any of these mammals is not a good idea. and if you don't mind, I just wanted to add to the mange point that often these animals do have other underlying issues, and so never should anyone attempt to um, capture one. Mm-hmm. Even we as licensed rehabilitators um, would have to receive explicit permission from Mass Wildlife. Um, and so these animals, if they're sick, you should contact authorities, and they eventually may end up in a wildlife rehabilitation setting, which is um, the best possible place for yeah, them. Yeah, right. Um, um, let's see, Rick in Plymouth says, when we hear groups of coyotes making loud yips and yells, is that a kill or just a social interaction or both? So that, uh, coyotes are very vocal, and that's that's not um, an aggressive type of behavior. It's just communication with, within the pack. So these coyotes, they live in family groups. They're highly territorial, um, but they're not always together. So they, they do, they will spread out within their territory and that's how they communicate with one another. So there are certain times a year, like right now we're in the pretty much in the peak of the breeding season for them and they're very vocal. So they're, they're vocal as they're, you know, trying to find a mate if they don't have one. Um, and they're also using those vocalizations to defend their territories and let other coyotes know, you know, this is, mm-hmm. this is their turf. So right now, because it's breeding season, we, we might see them a little more, hear them a little more, and they're going to be a little more territorial. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're a little bit more visible on the landscape now because, um, you know, because of, all those activities. Um, so coyote sightings and, um, ramp up quite a bit this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Tom's giving us a call from Harwich. Hi, Tom. Hey, how are you? Good. I live near the bike rotary and, uh, and the woods and the cranberry bog trails around from there. And there is a huge, I would say it's a, uh, Eastern red timber wolf 
by the size of it. It's twice the size of a coyote. I see coyotes all the time, but uh, this thing cruises through the yard at any time of day. 7.30 in the morning, I'll look up at the bird feeder, and there he is. And um, I got a couple of shots from the bathroom window that was steamed up from the shower. Oh, but, uh, you got to get a good photo, Tom. We need a good photo of that. <laughs> I got quite a few of them, but um, he would just freeze. There's these girls that get in and out of their car all day long, and he would be right in the yard next to them and stop, and you'd blend right in. And they never seen him. And uh, he cruises around all the time, checks mm. all the bird feeders. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so these coyotes I that live... about 90 yeah. pounds. Well, all right, Tom, thank you. This Go is any time, any time of the year there. But, right. um, okay. yeah. yeah, so these, these coyotes that live in these types of situations, these suburban areas like this, um, get very comfortable around people. Um because they're used to human activity, so it's not uncommon to see them, you know, just off the bike trail on the edge of the yard, um, you know, kind of watching the activity around them uh, because those houses and that backyard activity is just, you know, that's what happens in there. And you're thinking this is a coyote, right? I would say it, yeah. it likely is a coyote. Um, but, Tom, if you get a good photo and you think it's something else, a good photo would tell us if it if Absolutely, it yeah. yeah. So, it, you know, we, we always encourage people to send photos in, um, you know, you I can be reached at our at Mass Wildlife's Buzzards Bay office, and um, you know, yeah. um, you know, feel free to set email photos you just, in. You just never know. You just never know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we we receive a lot of phone calls regarding coyotes that are like appear very very large. Um, you know, ninety pounds is um, probably a bit of a stretch. I'm sure. It, it's not quite as heavy as you think, mm-hmm. um, because when we actually throw one on the scale, I'm I'm frequently surprised too how light they are compared to how big they yeah, look. Yeah, they look bigger. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's long, skinny legs too, right? Yeah. So yeah. so let's talk a little bit about the biology of them. There. So right now we're we're they're looking for mates and and breeding. Um, so we're going to see, as we mentioned, a little more aggressive behavior, perhaps being territorial. Um, what do they use as dens? I mean, they can be what in the woods uh, yeah so porch they, you know they use um different scenarios for den sites um sometimes they'll excavate out uh like an old um an old woodchuck hole or something like that uh frequently they're on the side of an embankment so you know if you've ever seen a fox den it looks very similar but it's just tends to be a little bit larger of an entrance maybe the size of a basketball would be kind of typical um but they can also den um, in brush piles under, you know, fallen trees or logs. Um, in suburban areas, it's not uncommon at all for them to den underneath porches or underneath sheds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what so. happens when you get a call from a, a second homeowner who's coming here to open up for the summer and they go, hey, I got a coyote living under my porch? Yeah. So we deal with that quite a bit because especially down here on Cape Cod, these um you know, people that have these summer homes, they've been gone all winter as the coyote is seeking out a den, which is like this time of year, they find these areas that appear secluded because there's not a lot of human activity around them and they feel very secure there. So they'll, they'll set up a den, you know, underneath a porch or, or a shed or something like that. So most of the time, um, it's pretty easily resolvable because you do want to kind of create that distance between, mm-hmm. you know, you in, in the coyote den. So, 
often I recommend that people just put out like a battery op- operated radio or something like that. The noise um, will scare them And away. the noise will be enough to just get them to move on because they will have alternate den sites. Oh. So if they don't feel comfortable in one den, They'll go den to the area, other one. Oh. they can just relocate. Okay. So even if they have pups, they might pick up those pups and move carry them. them. Mm. And it doesn't take much to create that buffer that where they feel safer and where mm. you know the homeowner feels safer so as well. how many pups are in a typical litter they can that varies quite a bit so they can have anywhere from you know one to nine wow. um, they average um about six um, they could possibly even have more mm. and do they all survive no they uh about 50 percent pup survival rate uh, would be typical mm. And the interesting thing with coyotes is they have the ability to have larger or smaller litter sizes depending on um, mainly their food availability. So if times are good, they can have higher litters or larger mm-hmm. litter sizes. If, um, if food is hard to come by and it's sparse, then they can have smaller litter sizes. So that kind of correlates into how... Coyotes have the ability to sort of self-regulate their population levels, mm, interesting. Uh, which, which is really interesting, yeah, yeah. which is another reason why they've been so successful. Right. All right, Stephanie, um, we're, we don't just have coyotes raising young this time of year, right? So w- what do we do if we come across a baby animal? Sure. Um, it's different for all different species, of course, but right now owls are actually nesting. Um, they're the earliest nesting birds of the season. And so we tell people um, to try to reserve your tree felling until late fall. Um, And so if you find a baby owl on the ground, um, you should call a local wildlife rehabilitator. And you can find one by going to mass.gov because not all baby owls on the ground need help. Mm -hmm. Um, Older owls that are of what we call branching age, um, they typically clamber around and they might end up on the ground, but the adults are still feeding them. So you'll want a wildlife rehabilitator to check that out. Um, But also squirrels right now are pregnant or have very young uh, pups in the nest. So again, um, save your tree felling for late fall. Um, And also if if you are doing some tree work and a nest comes down, we can often get the mother to um, take those pups. Uh, Gray squirrels in particular make several nests. So often we can get them to take their pups and move them to another nest. Oh, interesting. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, good to know. All right, so um, how do the coyotes go about establishing their territories? And then when they have all these youngs, do they push them out to go find their own territory, or do they stay in the territory they're in? How does that work? Uh, A little bit of both. So um, uh, they, they, they do... They're highly territorial, so they will defend their territories. And these territories are um, made up of mainly family groups. So this time of year, um, just kind of kind of looking at the the cycle throughout the year. So right now they're they're defending these territories. They're seeking out den sites, and they're breeding right now. Um, they have a 65-day or so gestation period, so they'll be having these pups in April or May. And then those pups are going to um, 
they'll be weaned after about 35 days. So they're going to stay with the mother um, and they're going to spend a lot of time in that den. But as they get older and once they're weaned, they're going to branch out and start to spend a little more time outside that den site, getting used to their surroundings and kind of learning, learning from their parents how to hunt and find food mm-hmm. and all that. So then by the time fall rolls around, uh, September or October, some of those pups might stay and be and be part of that family group where some of them will disperse and that all kind of depends on that food availability like we talked about um so if if there's a lot of food available they they more of them might stay if food is not available more of them Mm -hmm. might get pushed out yeah so is that why in the fall it seems like we see more it's because they're looking for new territory or some of them are it does and that's the time of year where we have you know the most amount of coyotes on the landscape mm-hmm. because some of it, they're, they're getting pushed out um you know and you know they're all still alive you yeah. know um so there's a lot of activity going on so if we look at you know we talked a little bit about territories um in you know their home ranges so like in an area like cape cod which is mostly suburban these home ranges are going to be somewhere you know in the vicinity of like three and a half to five square miles on average Mm. and that's actually smaller than the home ranges that you have in more rural areas like picture out in western mass where the home ranges might be twice that size they might be five to ten square miles possibly even bigger um, Mm. up to 20 square square miles and that all correlates to that food availability and what we talked about before as far as you know, human food sources being, you know, adding to that. All right. Greg in Nantucket writes, you haven't mentioned bears. Maybe you did and I missed it. Would there, or maybe it's a topic for another show. No, we can talk about bears. We did have a bear. We did. But are you anticipating we might see more bears because, you know, we're seeing them in the western part of the state much more than we used to? Uh, Absolutely. So our, our bear population is expanding uh, as well. So we have about, we estimate about 4,500 bears that we have in Massachusetts. And over the years, that population, which was um, mainly out in the more rural areas out in Western Mass, has been pushing more and more east. So we have what we consider established bear range in Massachusetts right now, essentially west of 495. And uh, they're territorial as well. So you know, as these, it's particularly the young males that reach out far from their home, you mm-hmm. know, from, from where they were born, um, as they're seeking territories for themselves. So um, we consider kind of like east of 495 as expanding bear range. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of have this southeastern mass area that has within the past handful of years kind of popped up where we're getting these bears that move in, um, you know, and they're typically young males seeking a territory and they just, they travel. Yeah. Remember that one bear we had came over the, or maybe swam through the canal exactly, and yeah. then went all the way down to province. Yeah, and exactly. And that, that was, that was incredible. That was really interesting. And, um, the past few years we've had somewhat similar circumstances where we've had bears come from, you know, somewhere likely out west. Like this year, we had a couple come through the Fall River area, work their way down. Um, 
Actually, we had one that was very close to the Cape Cod Canal wow. around that same time frame, um, you know, where, where the last one that wound up on Cape Cod was, um, to the point where we said this one might cross yeah. the canal and I, I believe that may have been fourth of july weekend oh my well. goodness <laughs> uh, so yeah we're, we're we're seeing bears move um further east um into southeastern mass particularly you know plymouth county and, right. and bristol wow. county so, yeah so we could see some in, we're talking you know. about uh if you have a wildlife story to share we're talking about coexisting with wildlife in particular coyotes 866-999-4626 is our number our email address the point at cape we'll talk more after a quick break you're listening to The Point. We are talking about coexisting with coyotes and other wildlife by better understanding their biology and behavior. Stephen Wright is with us, wildlife biologist at Mass Wildlife, and Stephanie Ellis, executive director at Wild Care Cape Cod. If you have a question or a comment about coyotes or other wildlife, let us know. Or if you have a wildlife story to share, 866-999-4626. Our email address, thepoint at capeandislands.org. And Joni writes, I've lived in harmony with coyotes in on the Cape for almost 50 years while trail riding on a horse and often with a dog or two, we coexist without incident. So there are many, Joni's not one of those people who's <laughs> wary, but there are many people who are wary of coyotes and they see a coyote out walking uh, in the daytime. They think it's unusual behavior. So they're, they're there day and night, right? And I mean, I tell my husband, when you're walking in Long Pond, the coyotes are seeing you, you're not seeing them, but they're there. Exactly. They're, they can be pretty elusive animals. Um, and it's not, a lot of the phone calls that we get, um, involve just sightings of coyotes. And typically one of the biggest concerns amongst people is when they see them in the daytime and they think that's abnormal. You know, we, we're, we see them right in the middle of the day in our yard, which is normal coyote behavior. Um, and especially certain times of year, they're more active in the daytime than others. So right now is a time of year where you might see more active daytime activity. And then also later in the summer, um, when those pups, like we talked about the pups, when they start to spend more time outside the den, um, you know, you, you got to keep in mind that time of year, the, these pups are now outside of the den. So they're very visible. Um, they're young animals. So they're, they're not as concerned. They haven't learned yet mm -hmm. to be very concerned about much and their parents are also you know seeking food for them because they got mouths to feed you know yeah. and hungry growing pups um so that's another time of year where they're very very visible yeah and stephanie those are the times of year you get the same phone calls right there's a coyote in my yard yes exactly um and i think to speak to steve's point earlier he was talking about um what we call hazing which is uh, basically making yourself large, making loud noises and scaring them away. I do think it's important, even when they're not doing anything, um, to, to do that, to make loud noise and continue, you know, so they have that, that healthy fear of humans in yeah. them. If you're walking a dog, I mean, does a, does a whistle work? Like if you had a whistle around your neck and you could just blow a whistle, is that? It, it can, yeah. Um, you, want it to, you want the behavior to be, to be like, as bold and as intimidating as possible. Mm -hmm. So uh, another thing that I um, often recommend to people that are really concerned about coyote sightings when they're walking their dog is uh, pepper spray. Mm. You know, you'd certainly mm -hmm. want to learn how to use it, um, but it's something that would be very effective if you were to have, you know, close a, a close encounter with a coyote and on top of it would it would certainly be a very effective like hazing technique if yeah. you had a coyote within right. a few feet of you. All right. Let's talk to Carl giving us a call from Falmouth. Hi, Carl. Hello. 
Yeah, go ahead, Carl. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, we're, in, we're in Falmouth, and uh, BB Woods is our backyard, and we seem to be on the major coyote thoroughfare for the guys that come from the Sipavisit uh, Marsh area to BB Woods. Anyway, uh, we hear them close to the house at night sometimes, and generally they howl. On two occasions, they were barking. What's mm. that about? Oh, barking so, instead of howling. Yeah, so they have they have a, a bunch of different vocalizations. They can yip and bark, and they can do that long, drawn-out howl that most people are kind of familiar with. Um, so, yeah, they, they have all sorts of vocalizations. And that's just them communicating. That's just yeah. them communicating, yeah. All right. All right, Emily's giving us a call from Edgartown. Hi, Emily. Hi. Um, I'm calling because I'm very curious. One a couple years ago, one frigid January night, I looked out the window at 3 a.m. and I had forgotten I had left a pan of dry cat food out there. And eating out of it, and I'm not kidding, were a skunk and a raccoon, and they were together. They were rubbing <laughs> into each other. I mean, that's how close they rubbing into each other. Now, how unusual is that? That's yeah. That seems a, a bit unusual. Yeah, um, and it just kind of, kind of goes to show you how that like they were so hungry they weren't paying attention. Exactly. To each other. I mean, f- how those like f- how food like that will just concentrate that type of wildlife activity. Yeah, Emily, thanks for the for the call. Uh, do coyotes have any predators besides hunters? No, they don't. They're uh, around here. Their biggest. Um, the biggest cause of mortality is probably vehicles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. Right, let's, uh, we're talking to Randy. Hi, Randy. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question. Uh, do coyotes and foxes coexist in the same territories? Uh, no. So coyotes... W- Coyotes would will kill foxes and view them as competitors. So typically they do kind of avoid each other. You know, yeah. obviously we do have both on Cape Cod, um, so they do coexist to an extent. But um, but no, they they they'd be a another canine competitor. Yeah. And Stephanie, I know you get calls probably again the mange question with fox because that's cyclical too. We see the the fox uh, getting mange every so often, right? We do, yes. And so we do commonly get calls about that. Um, and again, just and tell people don't feed them and let your animal control officer know about that animal so they can keep a watch over it. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of folks who think we need to, you know, cull the herd, so to speak. We need less coyotes. But um, when you do that, just more take their place, right? So do, do, what is, is the population at a point that we need to do something like that? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, the biggest thing we could do is to learn how to live with them, really. Um, because it, through hunting, um, you know, like like we talked about, that ability to sort of self-regulate their population, they're, they're able to fill those, um, those gaps that something like hunting would eliminate. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when, when you do have mortality, um, what happens is it, it opens up this opportunity for them to, you know, have those those higher um, litters of, or larger litters of pups. To, so they're to self-regulating. Fill those we, so don't, we don't need to. They're self-regulating, yeah. 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 So, right. you know, it's all basically tied towards the habitat and into the food sources. Yeah. So hunting is not an effective means. It's been, uh, studies have kind of proven that if you were going to try to, try to um, 
lower the population levels, you'd have to have harvest rates at 70% or higher, you know, year after year after year, where right now our harvest levels are nowhere near that. Let's see. We have uh, Daniel writing, My family and I are moving to Western Mass from Martha's Vineyard. There are large blueberry bushes with bear scat under them next to our house site. What is the best way to coexist with a bear population that's habitated to a specific place near children, etc.? Well, basically, it, it, it's pretty much the same, same type of, um, you know, human behavior things that we talk about with avoiding um, negative interactions with coyotes, uh, be, because they'll bears will, you know, take advantage of those same types of things that coyotes will, and it's predominantly food. So, you know, bears will be attracted to blueberries um, and fruits like that. Um, you know, they will be attracted to agricultural fields like corn in particular in the fall. Um, but those backyard interactions, it's mainly going to be, you know, loose garbage, mm-hmm. compost piles, things like that. So, Large noise again, the same kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. S- same type of thing. Um, you just want to kind of like let your presence be known um, and eliminate those food sources. Those food sources are really what's going to dr- bring them into close proximity to people. And is it true what they say, don't run? Uh, it is, yeah, yeah. Um, in, in that type of situation, if you were to be attacked by a bear, um, they they say, you know, fight back. Yeah, don't run. Um, yeah. And if you see, the, <laughs> yeah. see a cub, maybe go in the other direction, right? Yeah. And that's kind be... of the same thing yeah. with coyotes, too. Like, if you, if you see a coyote and it's, and it's approaching you, um, it's not a good human behavior to do is to turn your back and run because then it, you know, solidifies right. that dominance thing and within the coyote instinct they have. and that yeah, instinct yeah. to yeah. chase after you yeah all right stephanie what do i do if my pet's uh, attacked by a coyote and I, and I mean like you know not killed obviously but like bitten are there diseases that can be transmitted i mean what do, i'm sure people call you go oh i might you know i saved my pet but it got bit what do i do right sure so in that case we would want them to contact uh, their obviously their veterinarian um, to have that animal seen and also their animal control officer um, on Cape Cod, we don't have as much of a rabies risk as other places in Massachusetts, but um, people should definitely keep keep your pets vaccinated, mm-hmm. um, and that animal should be seen, um, and then they will work with authorities um, because an animal that bites your pet might need to be um, tested. Right. Um, but also, there you can they can spread different mites, different internal parasites, so. Um, contact your vet and your animal control officer. All right. And then, uh, Stephen, what do you do if you see a coyote that looks sick or injured? Well, a, a couple of things. You could you could report it to your animal control officer. Um, the first thing, we, we do get a lot of calls about sick or injured um, coyotes. And, you know, most of the time um, it's kind of a situation where you can just let nature take its course because, you know, disease, sickness, injury does it's common and it does happen. And, you know, the best case scenario is for that animal to recover on its own in the wild. But sometimes, um, it happens in a situation where the, the animal is sick or injured. It's in a real bad location. Um, you know, where it's likely going to result in a public health and safety risk in that situation. I'd recommend calling your animal control officer who may contact with us and we may work together to resolve the situation. But the big thing that I would stress is not to feel bad for the animal and provide it food yeah. uh, because that's Gotta a pretty common response. Yeah. yeah. And, and this time of year, especially when we're talking about the, the, you know, them breeding and looking for dens, 
you want to keep your dog on a leash, no matter what. Size. You want to keep your dog on a leash at all times, you know, yeah. right throughout the year on a short leash and supervised. Yeah. You know. And then uh, just got about a, a minute or two left. Uh, there's other wildlife that we can keep our eyes on this time of year that are kind of fun, like the river otter, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is a great time of year to view other wildlife. Um, otters are, are very common on Cape Cod. Um, they leave, especially if you get snow, they do leave some pretty identifiable sign in the, in the woods along the, um, you know, along the waterways uh, where they, where they can they create those slides. <laughs> yeah, and they create those slides as they're dipping <laughs> yeah. down into, into the rivers and the brooks. Um, so they're, they're always interesting to see and to watch. Yeah. Um, another great thing to um, this time of year in the wintertime is um, I really enjoy watching the waterfall because we have so much waterfall on Cape yeah. Cod. Yeah. Um, so I love watching the sea ducks like eiders and scoters. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Stephanie Wild uh, from Wild, you're co-sponsoring a talk at the East Hymn Library next week about coyotes. Um, like 20 seconds. Go ahead. Sure. So on March 5th, East Ham Public Library from 6 to 7.30 p.m., it will be myself speaking on coyotes. Um, I believe Steve will be there to answer questions. And uh, Stephanie Sykes, the animal control officer of East, um, in East Ham, yeah, awesome. and also Tracy Plantier from the East Ham Dog Owners Association. Oh, so great. don't miss All right. it. All right. We'll post links about Wild Care uh, Coyote Talk at Mass Wildlife at our website, capeandislands.org. Stephanie Ellis, Stephen Wright, thank you so much. We learned a lot this morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm Indy Todd. Thanks for listening. The Point is produced by Amy Vince. The executive producer is Mindy Todd. Production assistance from Jenny Junker and Dan Tridel. Theme music by Benjamin Burdery and William Coulter.